And most people, from my experience, are actually living detached. They'll say it's not attached, but it's actually detached. And the difference is, is non-attachment is you allow yourself to feel, but you're not attached to the outcome. Detachment is you actually don't feel. Hello, 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 and hello. This is day number four of our week of inspiration to kick off 2021. First off, I want to acknowledge what happened yesterday, Wednesday, January 6th here in the U.S., If you are feeling a little weighed down, just reach out to me directly either on LinkedIn or Instagram and we can chat. And if you didn't know already, my name is Chris Lin and I am your host and advocate for the Leading People First podcast where we explore the effect that leadership has on the employee experience. Be sure you are subscribed to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, or Stitcher, or anywhere else, and you'll get new episodes downloaded directly to your device when they come out. In the olden days, and even still today, we have tried to remove emotion from the workplace, and that just doesn't allow our employees to bring their full authentic selves to work. That's why my guest today is doing some amazing work helping leaders reattach to their emotions. As I said before, this conversation goes pretty deep, so take a deep breath and let's dive right on in. Welcome to the Leading People First podcast. I am so excited because my guest today has a very long line of accomplishments, all the way from being a triathlete, a rock climber, stand-up paddleboarder, yogi, USA triathlon coach, high school teacher, podcast host, interviewing names like Greg Rosenbaum, Seth Godin. He's a poet. He's lifted weights with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He's an anthropologist, fellow hockey player, but an unfortunate Buffalo Sabres fan a Huffington Post blogger, meditative coach, never-ending learner, a people purpose finder, and most recently, a new father. Welcome to the Leading People First podcast, Mark Guay. Oh my gosh, that was hysterical. <laughs> well, why, way to knock the savers though, baby. The savers, you know, I still believe. I think maybe in the Swiss sports, I'm still living in the 90s because that's the last time that I really paid attention. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if you're from Buffalo, New York... You are a Buffalo Bills fan and a Sabres fan for life. I mean, yeah. it is a tight community with their sports. So, so yeah, so still and will always be Bills and Sabres fan for life. <laughs> Without a well, doubt. I, I'm, I'm happy you're... Uh, I still what? have a jersey with my last name on it from fourth grade, actually. Funny. With That's a blood awesome. stain, actually, that won't come up. <laughs> what is the blood from? I got to ask. Playing hockey. <laughs> <laughs> Hockey is not a, not a simple, not a, you know, uh, it's an aggressive sport. It's really yeah. aggressive and, and yeah. you, you bleed and you smile and you laugh about it. Did you get your summer teeth with those, with that Jersey or what? Oh, geez. That's funny. Uh, I lucked out. Uh, I mean, my teeth are curved as you can tell the front ones, but that's not to do with hockey. Yeah. <laughs> but I do have a scar on my left uh, eyebrow from a high stick that, yeah. uh, you know, gushed some blood when I was in third grade, I think. Oh yeah. I've, I've got some bum knees because of, because ho- of hockey. So, right. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again for coming on, man. I just want to kick it off with the question I ask everyone, what does it mm-hmm. mean to you to lead people first? Yeah. Thank you again, Chris, for bringing me on. It's uh, truly an honor. Love what you're doing. You know, I was talking with someone on Monday, uh, actually, and saying that uh, if you want to change the world, you know, start with your people, start with the people that you work with, uh, because I just think of a world, and I know this sounds hallmarky and cliche, but I just think of a world, if everyone were to come home from work fulfilled, what that would change in people's lives, in families' lives, in children's lives. And uh, I am really hopeful for that. And I bring that back because my first career was teaching. As you mentioned, I I became a high school English teacher straight out of college. I was 22 and I landed my first full-time job teaching seniors just north of New York City. And I had one student who had a thicker beard than I did. And he was 20. His name was Brad. (laughs) And uh, I just read so many stories of uh, children you know, these are 18 year old, you know, children still that their parents weren't home. Their fathers weren't home. Both parents had to work full-time jobs just to get by. And they, uh, and I saw the effect that it had on the kids. And so when I think about uh, people first, you know, I think about, we have one life, this is it. And more and more people are eager to make the most of it. 
Well, when you have um, fulfilling work, like you said, you know, if people feel fulfilled in their workplace, mm-hmm. it, it takes off a load when they get home, right? So, um, and they then they don't get, then they don't have to bring their work home with them. And, you know, maybe it even helps them feel more impassioned to to be better, a better person at work. So it's really, it's, it's incredible, the, the power of purpose. And I know that that's something that you do quite a bit of work in. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's changed so much though. And it's even hard, honestly, to talk about when I, when people ask about purpose and, and, and finding work that's meaningful because it's, it's shifted so in, in so much, you know, I, I ran a podcast once that was uh, on social entrepreneurship and I ran it because I wanted to find out, uh, a, what the real world was like so that I can talk to my students about it. Cause here I am designing courses for my students, you know, on how to build your dream career and entrepreneurship, but I was just a teacher. And I say just a teacher, cause that was just, that was the only career that I had. And I wanted to know what the what skills were needed in the, in the real world outside of school. And I, my students were really interested in, in bettering the world, you know, not too yeah. uncommon for adolescents. Um, and, and so what I found though, is in interviewing all of those people and then, and then uh, helping start some businesses myself and, and lead some businesses after working in the public education system is it's not so much about the change that you're making in the world. It's the change that you're making with the people that you're working with. You know, I've worked with and, and helped out companies that they had a great mission. They were doing great work in the world, truly, truly beautiful, beautiful work in the world, but their people were not happy. Mm-hmm. And so that's not really good. The people were stressed out, overworked, and uh, that's not <laughs> that's not helpful. Yeah. So what I'm really talking about more so is actually helping the people on your team um, feel fulfilled, fulfilled, feel competent. You know, and a lot of the people that I'm working with now are actually mid-career professionals that have uh, pretty much succeeded. You know, they've gotten the the great job. They have a house. They have uh, all the money that they need. And they're, you know, halfway or so through their career and they're going, okay, now I want to really feel like I'm actually bringing my gifts more fully to the world outside of just taking care of myself. So it's a lot more than just simply, you know, creating a a nonprofit or creating a one-to-one type of business. It's about, uh, we'll talk about it more, but it's about really uh, dialing in what it is that people want. And what gets them to feel really seen and loved and heard and supported and challenged. No different than really, I guess, when you're playing hockey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the thing that uh, I think what, as I was listening to some of your work um, uh-huh. that really stood out to me, the one thing that really stood out and I had not really thought about is, you know, we, we have this, we're always fighting to find our purpose. Right. But then, what you had mentioned was, well, we can have more than one purpose. Like we, you know, and that was something that I I was like, wow, that's, that's totally true. Right. We can have purpose at work. We can have purpose at home. We can have purpose, you know, with our friends, like there's different things that we can do and we don't need to necessarily cling on to that one thing because what happens is, you know, what, what if we lose that job? You know, what if something happens with friends, family, you know, and then we get lost. So it's something that, um, that I, that I really appreciated listening about and, and your, your life story honestly is incredible. Um, and your outlook is, in, is continuously positive. And I think your memoir, if you were to write one just right now, it would span like three or four novel size books, honestly. So can you, you know, rather than going deep into all of your, into your entire life, can you share just like one or two of the most impactful moments in your life that made you change your outlook or mindset? Oh, so much to talk about. And thank you for that, Chris. That really means a lot. I appreciate that. You know, uh, I've come a long way. I'm very proud of who I am. Uh, I'm pretty proud about how I've gotten here. Uh, And I have a long way to go. You know, there's so much discovery in this life that Mm -hmm. I am excited for. And I feel like I've lived so much, but yet still have so much to discover. Yeah. So, you know, two things that come to mind right away. Well, the first one, um, the first, 
you know, situation that really changed my life was uh, when my wife got sick, right? Because uh, my wife had Lyme disease for many years. And for those who don't know what Lyme disease is, it's a very debilitating disease that is uh, different for each person who has it. So some people could have a uh, not so severe situation. And then others could be like my wife who are, you know, put into a wheelchair and not really able to even make breakfast for themselves. So that was a big hit to me personally, professionally, because here I am in New York, come, I come from a blue collar family first in my family to have gone to college. And here I am with you know, master's degree, I'm making great money. I'm, I was happy with the money I was making. It was more than enough. My wife was making good money as well. Uh, and we had all of the, you know, all of the stuff, right? Our Facebook profiles looked fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was deeply unhappy because my wife was not, you know, sick, right? Or my wife was sick. And, and so uh, it just, you know, it just rocked me. It completely rocked me. And it set me on a, um, just a, a wild ride that, you know, I, it would take a long time to get to it, but a wild ride that led to us being here in San Diego. And, uh, you know, here we are now, and, and we just gave birth to our first child, uh, Rowan, uh, four weeks ago. And it's incredible, you know, when I think about, uh, it was five years ago and my wife and I had just spent a summer in San Diego after spending, we spent four weeks here because we were told that the, um, dry climate would be helpful for her healing. So I rented a house for the summer and we found that the, the climate did help considerably. And so it was five years ago that we both looked at each other's eyes and we said, Hey, we've been doing this thing now for about seven years where we know where this future is going to go. We were in New York at the time and we looked in each other's eyes and I said, uh, I think we need to move to San Diego. And she said, I think so too. And we made the hardest decision that we've ever made in our lives, which was to resign from jobs that we loved, trust in God, trust in source trust in ourselves. And we jumped on a plane at four or five in the morning with a cat that was constipated and got lost in JFK, <laughs> escaped <laughs> out of my hands. I was bleeding. Uh, and we arrived in San Diego, sunny day, beautiful day. And the cat went to the bathroom. We have this beautiful place that we're living in and we restarted our lives and it was by no means easy. You know, people talk about change and I think it was Krishnamurti that said, uh, we're not afraid of uh, change. We're afraid of letting go of the known. So we're afraid yeah. of the unknown. And it rocked me, you know, moving out here and the change after about 10 years or so of a schedule that I had with a job that I had with a job that I loved and everything was different. You know, area was different. Job was different. Friends were different. And I was very happy, but at the same time, it was still very, very troubling and, and, and just all of the change at once. Yeah. So that's, that's one right there. So I'm going to pause yeah. on that. I can go to the second <laughs> event, but yeah, that was definitely yeah. one right there. That was, that was pivotal in shaping the direction of my life because you, no matter how happy I was and everything I was doing, my family, was, yeah. was, was suffering. And that's, uh, it's just, you know, incredibly important to make yeah. those decisions that your family is able to thrive. The thing that I think really speaks to me personally is, is you doing what's best for your family, right? That being the, the driving factor and being willing to sacrifice and risk whatever it is, you know, going from a, a, a good job, good lifestyle to something that's completely, like you said, unknown. Um, and again, I think a lot of organizations don't think about that when we ask our employees to change, right? Hey, like relocate. Yeah. Like that's not a problem here. We'll pay you money to like relocate, but it's like, do you, they, you know, we, we often forget about the impact it has on family. We, we forget about the impact it has on their mental state and, and just what, what they're going through. So 
um, yeah, that's something that, uh, that's what, that's what I'm getting out of that. But what, what else, what else, uh, for you was, was a huge shift in your life. Well, I want to go back and actually just say, first, you're helping me realize something that I've never actually put words to, but I was very lucky in that the school that I taught at the public school, the public school system, to be clear, I've been a, I've been a a vocal, uh, you know, I've been vocally against it. It, The public school system needs massive change, right? Mm -hmm. It is broken and like nothing I've ever witnessed before yet it is filled with great people trying to make it better. And I was very, very, very fortunate to work actually in a school where I had an amazing supervisor who uh, the couple weeks before I moved out of here, she sat down and she shared her personal story of uh, chronic illness that she struggled with as a teenager. And then I had a, a superintendent for the school who I'd only met three times that tell me, what do you need? I, we're here to support you. Hmm. And I was young at the time, you know, I was, uh, I, I was young. I, I, no matter how, what age I was, I was still very young in my mind. Yeah. And uh, I didn't realize until leaving there, how fortunate I was that I actually had, uh, I had leaders at the school that actually cared about who I was as a person. You know, and so they were there to support me with, um, we have, we had this thing called a sick bank, meaning where people can donate their sick days for you to take extra time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had people reach out and offer to, uh, help put together fundraisers for the medical treatments that, you know, uh, we had to pay out of pocket. So you're helping me realize that I was actually very, very fortunate to have uh, great leaders support me in, in the shift to San Diego. And that's why resigning from that was actually pretty difficult. Yeah. You know? Um, so thank you for that. That was, that was fun to go back. The second thing. So let me, let me, let me just take a second with your question. Could you ask it one more time? Is it a moment in my life that sort of shaped the direction? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Just, just an impactful moment in your life that made you change your outlook or mindset. Yeah. You know, (laughs) Oh, there's so many, but, um, after I left teaching, uh, it was four, five months. It was five months after teaching, and I've written about this before, where one of my uh, senior uh, boys had committed suicide. And uh, this was a boy that was, uh, you know, a very, actually a very strong young man. He gave off this persona that he had it all together. And, uh, and he was someone that actually I really uh, sort of took under my wing before I left teaching Mm -hmm. because I just saw that he wasn't really doing his work. And I I thought he was struggling a little bit, but I had no idea how much he was really struggling. And so I gave him a lot of fatherly talks that teachers oftentimes do. Teachers are often third parents. And, uh, you know, this kid was just amazing. He had so much potential. And then I found out, you know, five months after I left teaching that he had chosen to, you know, end his life. And that was pivotal to me because the work that I do now is I work with people and I help them really drop into their most authentic presence, right? And I work a lot with the four directions, north, south, east, and west in terms of our wholeness, our whole self. And the south represents the wild indigenous one, the animal, the part of us that feels, the part of us that feels connected to the earth, the part of us that emotes, And that part of us is really stripped away in our culture more than I ever thought before actually diving into this work. And so when that student chose to end his life, my father then died a few months later. And my father was a very stoic man who did not really show emotion. And I started running men's circles in San Diego. And I've taken men to the, uh, to the mountains outside San Diego and run, ran a men's men's intensive where we uh, do a lot of crazy fun stuff. And one of those is really dropping into our animalistic presence as men in the world. And that moment though, when that student, you know, ended his life, it, it, it sort of rocked me in a way where I decided, you know what, I'm actually going to be really authentic with my own self. And I started a journey of really exploring my own emotions, realizing that I, 
even through all of the mindfulness stuff that I had done, I ran a podcast that talked about living your life on purpose. I was a life coach, but all of my ability to process emotions was in the head. And I had uh, practiced a Zen meditation practice that I naively uh, learned detachment as opposed to non-attachment. And the difference is non-attachment is you allow yourself to feel, but you're not attached to the outcome. Detachment is you actually don't feel. And most people, from my experience, most people are actually living detached. They'll say it's non-attached, but it's actually detached. Because I'll hear this all the time from the people that I work with. I don't cry. And when someone says, I don't cry, what that tells me is you can't cry. And if you can't cry, I'm concerned. Because if you can't, then what other parts of yourself are you unable to fully step into? Because crying, like all the other emotions, is actually part of our natural human existence. And all you need to do is have kids to realize, oh, wow, look at all, look at all these emotions that are coming out of this little child. Yeah. The ability to emote, the ability to feel is crucial. So that's all to say that when that happened, I sort of realized that I was living my life far more detached emotionally. I also realized that I was living a very conformist PC lifestyle. I was saying what needed to be said. Uh, I was being uh, the good boy. And I decided, you know what, I'm actually going to really lean into what is authentic here. And when I started asking myself, who am I authentically? It led this led into this amazing journey of self-discovery. And it's still one that's absolutely unfolding. But I link it back to that moment that that student of mine had chosen to end his life because I was already 10 years into my career and uh, I was in the middle of a change already. And so that was a catalyst that helped me lean further into my personal work and helped me lean deeper into my work specifically with men. Yeah, that there's a lot to, I think, unpack there. Um, mm -hmm. the, the thing that really stands out to me right away is... is this culture, like you said, this society where we have, like, again, like you said, detached from emotion uh -huh. and yep. the, the, the danger of that, right? There's a lot of danger, not just to ourselves, but to those around us that it, it affects. Um, and I want to share something from, one of, uh, from someone you know, Xander Phelps, who shared a little bit of praise about you. Oh, you had Xander on the show. Uh, no, I just reached I reached out to him. Oh, wow. and, uh, Xander's yeah. amazing. You have to have him on the show. He's incredible. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, reach back out to him and let him know. <laughs> good, 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 good. But uh, he said, you know, I was introduced to Mark almost a year ago and was immediately impressed with his presence. His warm smile only gave a small hint to his generous character. Since knowing Mark, his ability to organize group meetings and hold space has made spending my time with him a priority. I'm very blessed to count Mark as one of my friends. Hard for me to put into words how much I respect Mark. I've only known in a little while and we have not yet met in person. I appreciate the energy he radiates, kind, loving, and a wonderful filled openness. Mm, so beautiful. I so I think, you know, again, you allow for people to you know have you know looking back maybe from that learning from that moment in time when your student had taken his life, you know, you, you've really, like you said, leaned into allowing people to have space to connect with themselves again, especially their emotional selves. And that's something that, again, I, I think that we, we struggle, especially as men in, in this society is that we, again, the, the stereotype is like, you know, men don't cry, right? Like we, we disconnect from that. Like we don't want to, show emotion because for some reason it is a show of strength to not have emotion and something i think we we forget about in our work around things like diversity equity inclusion is bringing along those who have maybe benefited from inequality and oppression so when we look at change this can often feel like something is being taken away from us mm-hmm right? Or it's a feeling of oppression because again, we, those groups have benefited from their privilege. So, you know, with your work uh, and hosting a men's group, mm -hmm. how do we bring along men when it comes to things like gender equality for women and for white men, diversity and inclusion for people of color? First of all, I'm going to call out that I am a white man. 
and so I want to be clear about that. And so I'm aware of the, of how my identity has certainly uh, impacted the way in which I walked through the world. That is uh, unequivocally without a doubt true. Um, there's a lot I can talk about with that. First of all, it's, you know, it's one of those topics where uh, it's, it's very nuanced because that is actually one of the topics that we talk about that often does come up in a more men's circle type of environment where what I'm alluding to here is where a man will join and they're part of the quote, good guys, you know, they're not the, they're not the, you know, grab them by the, you know, by the, I don't know what your swear words are on here, but grab them by the vagina. I don't know. Yep. You know, I, wanna, I don't know if it's a PC show or a, you know, family rated show. No, you're fine. Yeah. Um, they're not those people. <laughs> they're, they're, these are good men. These are great men, uh, but they're lumped together into this category of, uh, of, of these type of men that have, you know, gotten away with horrible behavior for too long. Right. And so mm -hmm. that's actually one of the topics that we talk about is how do you navigate that? How do you, uh, I mean, there's so much to say here because even by my natural, and this is controversial to say, and, and I welcome anyone who hears this to reach out to me. I'm happy to articulate it further, but just simply, if you're someone that was, that has faced oppression by someone that represents my identity, my basic identity is going to stir an emotional reaction in you and it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with what I look like. Mm -hmm. And, and then the goal, in my opinion, is actually stepping further into a conversation. And it creates deep connection, actually, when you're able to have that sort of connection and that deep level of communication. Going back, though, what it really comes down to for me, simply, you know, the, the, the question that you had asked is just being role models. We, um, you know, we've kind of grown into a culture where we lived very, we live very socialized. And Robert Keegan's work is fantastic in this, Dr. Robert Keegan. But he takes a look at the socialized mind into what stepping into what he calls the self-authoring mind. And it is very, very difficult to become aware that you're basically doing what your parents told you. You're basically doing what society has taught you. And then you want to change. To actually step into change, particularly when this happens, is usually in your mid-30s. You already have so much relying on your past behavior that to actually change means that actually having to change. It means, it means having to shift greatly the world that you're living in. And that takes tremendous courage to do that, to, st to step into a self-authoring mind. But going to your question here with the men in particular, this is what we're talking about. So it's stepping in, it's having men that look like me call out men that say the things that shouldn't be said mm -hmm. and to actually step into your power, which is a quote, masculine strength, right? Saying, Hey, that's actually not okay for you to say that. And it yeah. takes a lot of courage to do that, to call someone out, particularly if you're in a situation where you're the minority and anyone who's ever actually voiced opposition to the majority knows how difficult it is to do that. It's very easy to say, you're going to do that, but to actually step into that power and actually own your integrity takes a lot of courage. So, the, so that's the first step. And the second step is to actually then, uh, you know, lead that change, you know, into the world as well, particularly when you step into leadership. So going with what I was talking about earlier, earlier in terms of feeling, imagine Chris, what it would look like, particularly let's look at politicians here, business leaders, the same, but politicians, I think even more so. Let's just imagine what it would look like if we actually had a political leader that embodied emotion. I'm not talking about one gentle tear when you're talking about something that's serious. I'm talking about actually showing your clean anger. I'm actually talking about showing your, your sadness authentically, mm -hmm. your grief, and actually joy as well. Joy is one of the most vulnerable to share, right? But we live in a way that's so bottled up because that's the safe way to do it. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But just imagine for a second what, the, what it would look like if we actually had political leaders and business leaders who actually represented this change where we're able to be really authentic. We're able to really step into our animal presence 
Yep. We're able to actually lead with our hearts, actually show when we're hurt, actually acknowledge the mistakes that we made. Going with the root of your question as well, I wish I can say that a lot of the men that have been called out, I wish I can say they should just apologize and everything would be fine. But the truth is, is that if they actually do apologize, they're going to be canceled and they might even be canceled regardless. But we do not really live in a world right now where you can actually authentically apologize and you will be forgiven. And I hate saying that, but from my perspective, that is, that is the truth. I agree with you. I, I completely agree with you. This, this culture of, of cancellation has gone too far because not only it, I think it, right. Initially it started off as, you know, not tolerating intolerance and hate. Right. Right. Which, which is, is great. which is great. Yeah. yeah. But to then completely remove yourself from compassion and empathy to say, I'm going to ruin your life for the rest of your life because of this one action is, is um, horrifying. And, and it's not allowing, like you said, for, for people to be authentic. Um, and that's Especially something... if it was, if it was half a lifetime ago. Yeah. I mean, in all honesty, uh, I, I did some stupid, stupid stuff as a kid. Yeah. Cause I was misguided. I didn't have a father presence. I was a kid right? And, uh, and I just think, yeah, I lucked out. I didn't, I mean, I, I feel, I feel bad for kids that grew up with social media because all that, all the stuff that they did in college is on, someone's got a record of it. I was at least part of the, <laughs> the last generation where like, you need to actually have a film camera to capture all the stupid stuff that, that we did naively. Yep. Right. And I look back and I go, how, why the heck did I do that? Yep. Now I know why. I know why we had those drunken binge nights because I was looking for a rite of passage. Yep. I was a boy wanting to be a man. And so what do you do? You, you create one yourself where you drink so much that you come to a point of blacking out, which is what a rite of passage does. It takes you to the brink of death so that you can be reborn and you do it with a group of people so that you feel seen and loved and supported in this change in your life. Now I know why I was doing that. But point is, is I was a kid. I was stupid. We do a lot of stupid things when we're kids and that's the nature of growing up. So if we're actually going to live in a world where we talk about change, we need to actually acknowledge that sometimes people can change. Yeah. Yeah. That's man. I can't, I can't say it better than that. I mean, we, we have to allow people to change. We have to create spaces for people to change. Right. And, and create a safe space and going, going back to what you had said earlier about, um, how a lot of these mindsets are ingrained in us growing up, not just from, you know, our parents, our family, our social circles, but also from education. And I know this is something you've talked about yep. before. Yep. Now with your work, it seems like it's come full circle for you from education and, and now into your, into what you do now. But is it, you know, we, we kind of need to catch up society to help teach everyone introspection. So in what is your thought, you know, is it up to the companies to help their employees become more introspective? If it isn't, how do we get into that space of self-reflection, mindfulness, and humility for individuals? That's a big question. What I will say is this is I think you're very naive if you're a business leader and you think that offering mindfulness, introspection type, uh, opportunities for your employees. If you just think that that's going to make them better employees, that's not true. That's, that's not necessarily true. I mean, it could be, but mm -hmm. what's going to happen is you're going to make them more aware employees. You're going to make them more fulfilled employees, but what might happen is they might actually want more freedom in what they do in their work. Right. Yeah. And that can mean in terms of what their work day looks like in terms of what work they actually do. And that might even mean that they leave. So if you care about having the best employees on the team, well, then that's good. If you care about having someone that's just going to stay with you for a really long time, then that's bad. So it's all about you as a leadership. What do you actually value? You know? Yeah. Uh, so I want to be clear about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. Yeah. Especially once you enter into a mindfulness practice, you become aware of the mind, you become closer to the self, right? And this takes time. This takes a lot of time. 
But when someone gets closer to who they actually are in this world, my goodness, the gift that they're able to offer their family, their loved ones themselves, the world, it's amazing. Yeah. But the bigger question you're asking is how do we change as a system? We're, we're doing this thing, you know, we're, we're, we, we, the systems are designed by people. And so, uh, I'm very much influenced by integral theory that talks a lot about, you have your inter, you have your eye, your inside, who you are on the inside. You have the way in which you interact with the world and you have the way in which uh, the world interacts with you and you have the way in which the world interacts with each other. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, uh, the way to actually create that change in the system is to actually step up and step into a form of leadership that is uncomfortable. When I was at a master's degree and my master's degree is in school leadership, I remember reading all these leadership books and just being like, yeah, oh my gosh, Jim Collins. Yes. I love it. Seth Godin. Love it. Like I was just reading all this stuff and I still love devour leadership books, but <laughs> true real leadership stepping into a leadership role is responsibility it's becoming aware of your ability to respond differently and that takes a lot of courage to actually be a leader that is going to uh, stand out right we live in this rah-rah kind of world right now where it's all about standing out but standing out is actually very uncomfortable mm -hmm. and what i've seen in my personal work is when you stand out in your professional career your personal work gets deeper so I have a lot of clients actually that they have launched themselves, whether their company has launched them or they've done it themselves into a professional spotlight where they are a linchpin, they're a leader in their domain, their domain space. But what ends up happening is now they're like actually being seen. And yeah. when you're really actually being seen, the inner work comes out because all of the stuff that happens on the inside, the inner critic, the inner addict, the the, the self-sabotage, all of that stuff comes out. And so a lot of times people, you know, will ask what I do. And sometimes I'll answer with, I'm a life coach for business leaders, <laughs> because a lot of times when you're actually creating great change in your professional work, uh, it's more of the, the deeper inner work that comes out that you'll see in the business world as well. But I mean, it's uncomfortable standing out and actually being a leader in your field. You, it, it's not easy getting uh criticism yeah. you know it's not easy actually being challenged and then having to you know what's not easy as well is when you don't know the answer and no one no other governing system out there has the answer for you you have to discover it and you have to sit in that limbo that's hard it's not easy potentially making a mistake and it's really not easy when you actually make a mistake and you have to own up to it yeah that sucks <laughs> but as part of what it is, in my opinion. I mean, when we make mistakes too, especially if we are in the spotlight, I mean, it's not just us getting over our own selves, but also realizing that we have to showcase that to the world. I see your daughter peeking in there. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hi. <laughs> who, who do we have joining us on the show today? Uh, that's my daughter, Daisy. <laughs> hey, Daisy. <laughs> This is COVID life, baby. Yeah. This is, this is authentic yeah. living. If yeah. we want to live real, we, you know, got to bring it all in. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's actually the first time she's ever popped on the, the podcast. That's funny. I'm on her. Oh, beautiful, man. Man. beautiful man. <laughs> I loved her smile when she walked into That was great. Um, so well, where was I? Well, I mean, okay, well, let me kind of restart with, with some, wait, with wait a minute. Are you, are you yeah. distracted because now your family came in to your professional work and now, <laughs> now, now, now the professional and the personal are kind of yeah, having yeah, a Yeah. It's got, yeah. I know that's, that's it, man. That, that, this is like, these are the things right here. This is it. Yeah. And everyone is dealing with this right now yeah. in this, in this life. You know what I'm interested in? Here's what I'm really interested in because we've been forced into this change where most people have to come work from home. And I remember yep. the shift when I went from driving to an office to then working from home. And I thought naively, because I had interviewed about a hundred people that were digital nomads and, you know, people that were living the quote, awesome life. And they were, you know, in, in Chiang Mai, Thailand, or, or anywhere in the world. And they were just living, you know, working from the computer and everything. It looked so, so damn sexy and so happy. And I remember when 
I decided I'm going to make the change to where I'm working from home 100%. Yeah. And I built a manifestation practice to bring that into reality. When things came my way, I launched at them and I, I worked hard to make it happen. And I remember when all of a sudden I sat here in San Diego and I was working 100% from home and it hit me. This isn't easy. And all the things that anyone who's ever worked from home knows uh, came up, right? All of the things, there's so many, but now in COVID we're all going through that together. Yep. And, and it's amazing, you know, but it's, it's certainly not an easy, easy change, but here's what I think is going to happen is now as the vaccine comes out, more people will be able to go back to work, but both businesses will decide, A, I don't want to have to pay for this office space if it's not really needed. It's a waste of an overhead cost. So yep. they're going to want work from home. And then the employers are going to say, hey, I actually kind of miss my daughter being able to see my daughter, you know, Daisy yeah. in the middle of the day. I don't want to be gone for eight hours anymore. Huh. And so we're going to, this is, this is a system shift that has been brought from the outside that is yep. incredible, but it's, you know, part of the mercurial change. Yeah. I, I, I honestly, I, um, I have actually really enjoyed some of the, some of the, um, positive outcomes that this is, this has brought. Right. Like you've said, like I no longer am stressed two and a half, three hours a day driving in traffic that is gone. Like I don't have to deal with that anymore. I, I don't have You're to. You're an SF, right? Uh, yeah. Well, in the Bay Area, yeah, I'm in the yeah. East Oof. Bay. The, there's there's traffic, and then there's traffic in San Francisco. Yeah. Oof. And 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 so things like that, right? You know, now being able to see my daughter, I I don't care that my daughter pops in. Like that's not a big deal. It, it didn't really bother me before. Now it really doesn't bother me. But the thing that I really have enjoyed is that people who have been in positions of authority in organizations they are now being forced to reckon and acknowledge the, um, the life that their employees are living. They're being forced to become more people first minded because it's like, Oh, look, you know, dog is there. Kids are there, you know, spouse is there, whatever it is. Um, and that they, you know, before I've, I've, met and dealt with a number of managers who were like, like were completely oblivious or just chose not to acknowledge that we have personal lives and things that are happening outside of work. So it's, a, it's so much easier to be detached. Yeah. I have, I had someone who, uh, especially during COVID, right. A lot of business owners had to release and relieve and let go of great employees. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of heart opened you know, amazing business leaders struggle with the reality that they needed to let go of these people, not a hundred percent sure if they would ever be able to give them a job again. And that's hard to do, especially when you're, when you're embodied yourself with your emotions and you feel, and then B, when you actually know the effect that that decision is going to have, yeah. but that's a reality. Like, you know, you have to lean into it, right? Otherwise the business will fail. Yep. And a business is like a baby. You have to really nurture it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really hard to be, or hard's not the right word. It's more of a challenge, but it's way more fulfilling when you actually are connected. Even if you're on the other end and you're an employee, it's a lot harder to leave a job if you're actually really connected on a personal level, on a human to human level with your coworkers, with your, uh, managers, with your, yeah. with your leaders, because it's like a family. Yeah. It's a whole nother way of operating. I mean, when, when I think back on the, um, you know, my own personal career, it's not about the company, not necessarily the companies I work for, but it's about the people and the relationships that I built. Right. Or that I remind that I me of with. the career of what, what, would uh, what industry did you work in? Well, I, I've been in a number of them. I, you know, I started off in retail, uh, and then moved into a healthcare tech company. And my most recent organization was a, uh, interior design commercial furniture company. Okay. So all sorts, you know, it's yeah, so yeah. again, so it, you've it's seen different cultures, different yeah. industries. Yeah. But it doesn't matter what industry or what, um, necessarily company I'm in. It, it's about the people that I'm around. So, um, you know, real quick, as, as we come up on time, I I'd like to ask one last question. Sure. What is the impact 
that you are looking to leave when you interact with others? Yeah, thank you for that. You know, I have an ability, uh, I've been told by people, to really see people for who they are and in a way that they actually feel comfortable being 100% present, 100% present with me in a way that they often have to wear a mask with other people. And so my hope is that more people lean into a lifestyle where they don't have to wear masks anymore. They're able to actually show up to their work. They're able to actually show up to their relationships, professional and personal, mm -hmm. in a way where they know who they are on a deep soul level and they interact with the world in a way that is in direct alignment with that. I, I know it's possible. I've seen it happen with my clients. I've seen it happen with myself. It's not necessarily the easiest route, but when that happens, it's absolutely releasing. It's really, it, it relieves a lot of anxiety and it allows you to show up in the world feeling lighter, feeling more full. And that's what I call capital S selfish. You know, it's, it's really serving uh, your highest self. And that's, that's amazing. I love when people are able to do that. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll definitely speak to that fact. Like just, you know, the, the couple of times we've had these conversations, I've, I've absolutely loved them. I feel like, yes, I, I don't have to necessarily like put on a, a front <laughs> or anything with you. And I'll share two more bits of praise from, from uh, people, you know, or people who know you um, John Robinson being one of them who said, Mark is the perfect intersection of presence, generosity, and love. He has helped me see what I have been missing out on nature and nature and my soul by paying more attention to these. I am able to be in touch with my gifts. And one more from Gabriella Tobal. Mark is a wonderfully centered leader who is all about thoughts and heartfelt connection and the great possibilities joining these two things brings. He always puts others first while establishing a very conscious and clear norm of treating everyone with dignity. So I, you know, wow. it's not just for me, um, but you know, those around you. And so those are some big names too. Th those are some incredible people in the world. Xander, John, Gabriella, the work that they do, the way that they live is, is amazing. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again so much, Mark. Um, this was, mm -hmm. this was a lot uh, of fun. I'm a little disappointed. We didn't get to get into all of your work, but um, mm -hmm. maybe we'll save it for another time. Uh, before we go, where can people connect with you? Yeah, thank you for that, Chris. And again, thanks for leaning into this. I, I love podcasting. I remember when I first discovered podcasting, uh, I was a triathlete at the time, as you mentioned, and I would spend sometimes four hours on a stationary bike listening to podcast after podcast and just was in love at how it allows people to really learn who you are and it allows you to have great deep conversations with people. And it's just one of those really cool things that, that has come out of the technology that we brought to the world. You know, when you're able to actually have the same power that only mass media had 50 years ago. Right. Yeah. Um, I want to let people know you're welcome to, you know, reach out to me obviously uh, by email and uh, I'm sure on your show notes, you'll, you'll have that as well. Um, and you can go to my website, markwgway.me. But if you uh, want to gather and you want to join one of my gatherings, I do offer two free gatherings. The one is uh, a TED Circle, where about uh, two times a month on a Friday from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, I gather with people, we watch a TED Talk, and then we talk about it. And TED has done great work where they've put great people on the stage to tell great stories, and it gets people to have a great conversation. So I've been doing that after uh, meeting the people at TED and they launched this TED Circle initiative and I really enjoy doing that. And I never know who's going to show up. It's so cool and stressful at the same time. And I love that. <laughs> Last time we had someone from uh, in real time, India, Ecuador, and then uh, seven different states in the United States join. And we had a conversation on playfulness. Xander was one of them. Just amazing. I, I love doing that. So Fridays, 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, if you want to join that. Uh, would love to have you. It's it's a heck of a lot of fun to have these conversations. It's a quick hour. And then the second one is I do run a, mon a monthly men's circle that's free. And it's virtual. And it's the first Monday of every month from 6.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So if you identify as a man and you would love to join that, uh, you're welcome to. Certainly not for everyone. I'm going to be completely honest with you. 
you know, it's one that uh, has attracted a great group of men that are leaning into some profound shifts in their life. Uh, I usually lead off with breath work and some meditation, and then we go into a deep uh, circle where you'll have the opportunity to really share what's authentically showing up in your life. And the main skill that we teach is embodied listening. And so being able to really listen to what your body has to say, and then allowing your body to speak to the mind, as opposed to how we typically enter into our conversations with this far more heady. Mm -hmm. So it's a very embodied practice, very powerful. So if you want, you know, to take a look at that, you're welcome to join that monthly men's circle as well. Just got to send me an email. I'll probably jump on just a five to 10 minute call just so I can make sure that uh, you're a good fit for the group. Um, I'm pretty strict about um, making sure that every man who's, who enters into that is a compassionate, a heart-centered uh, man eager to lean into their growth edges. And uh, using Brene Brown's work a lot in the you know, no shaming principle. Uh, and so if that's you and you want to join, we'd love to have you. And it's been a wild ride since my uh, friend Tyson and I started that uh, back in February of this year. Awesome. Well, Mark, thank you again for coming on. This has been a pleasure. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll connect soon. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. And uh, say hello to your family. It was lovely getting to meet Daisy. So <laughs> enjoy, enjoy the rest of your uh, evening today. I know we're just at around dinner time. Thank you again for tuning in to this episode during our week of inspiration on the Leading People First podcast. I really hope that you got some great insight and some inspiration from the amazing work that Mark is doing. But man, there is so much going on right now in the world and reattaching to our emotions is something that is desperately needed and being very mindful of that is incredibly important. So if you want to learn more about Mark and his amazing work, click on the links in the show notes. And if you know someone who needs some inspiration this week, who needs a bit of a lift up, especially given what's already going on in this crazy 2021 year, make sure you share this episode with them and let them know about Mark's work. Let's keep the conversation going. Hit that subscribe button and share with us what you loved most about this episode, either on LinkedIn or Instagram. Thank you again for tuning in. We have one more day with one more amazing guest tomorrow for our week of inspiration kicking off 2021. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.